Disclaimer. We are two regular guys who love to talk Bone Thugs and Harmony. We do not represent Bone Thugs or any Bone affiliate. We are also not Bone Thugs experts. The views and information you hear in this podcast may be based on personal opinion. Please feel free to leave corrections and clarifying information in the comments. And enjoy. Straight off the motherfucking internet. Two true hosts talking about the double Glock. Cecil. Johnny. Kick that shit, Phoenix. Beyond the harmony for the fans, we celebrate. Oh, in the videos every Thursday, so join us. Beyond the harmony for the fans, we celebrate. Oh, in the videos every Thursday, so join us. Beyond the harmony for the fans, we celebrate. Oh, in the videos every Thursday, so join us. Beyond the harmony for the fans, we celebrate. Oh, in the What's up, guys? Beyond the Harmony, back at you again. Your host, Cecil West. And I'm John Lippy. Man, here we are. We've been we've been recording so many of these episodes lately that it, that it's insane. But like the demand, the fucking demand for for the show and for the guest is is insane. We could literally record a, an episode every day for weeks and and still have a list of people. Uh, that either reached out or that we've reached out to that have agreed. It's it's insane. If if you guys only could see the list, the list that we have behind the scenes. Yeah, it's crazy. The list, the the list is huge, and I would say it's controversial. Like this list isn't, you know, I I know it is because there's there's already a little little controversy, a couple waves from having Capone. I mentioned some future guests that we plan on having, and it and it created some waves. Um, so it it isn't your normal Bone Thugs guests, I I I guess. The, and that's some the of the guys point. on the blacklist. Yep, that's big. We're trying to go beyond the harmony. We're trying to learn things that we didn't know, and most of the good stones have all been turned up already, and everybody knows all that information. There's some some other kind of stones out there that, you know, maybe have an additional aspect that we haven't learned. And along the way, we've already heard some amazing stories. It seems like every single interview we've done has had some kind of new nugget, sometimes a whole lot of nuggets of, of new leads, new truths for us to go down new paths. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's so weird for me. You know, hey, I just want everybody to know that... John and I completely understand, you know, being down for bone and, and if somebody did bone wrong, like, like fuck those dudes. Like we were, we were just talking about that today, how, how we, we get for a, a, a certain artist and it's like anybody against them. I mean, shit, even being a bone fan, I was like, fuck do or die, fuck crucial conflict, fuck three, six mafia. Like I was one of those type of fans, but in this situation, you know, we're talking about going beyond the harmony. That means beyond bone. And and think of even the basis of the word harmony. Harmony is like the the nice shit, the good shit. We're talking about going past that. And I'm and I'm not saying we want to know just the bad shit, but I'm saying we're going beyond what's in the front, what you know. Um, a story can never be completely true if you've only heard one side. And that's that's a fact, cause cause in everybody's rendition of a story, there's a little bit of a little bit of truth, a little bit of lie, and a bunch of shit that people just don't remember exactly how it went down. And just think if you only took Dr. Dre and Snoop's side back in the the days of Dre and Easy E beefing, if you only took Biggie's side or just took Tupac's side when they were beefing, you know, there's more than one side to a story. And, you know, I, unfortunately, I think part of the reason why we do Beyond the Harmony was I did take sides back in the day. And unfortunately, it, it prevented my vision. It, it prevented me from hearing both sides and enjoying all sides. So, you know, but that was a while back and I've changed my ways. And, and now I'm all encompassing from all thoughts everywhere. All ways are the only way. So I'm open to hear all sides of the story. Plus, 
it would be like not interviewing Darth Vader and only interviewing like the Rebel Alliance. That's like a Star Wars <laughs> reference. You know what I'm saying? Like, or if it was wrestling, only interviewing the good guys, but not the bad guys. So, you know, we yeah. everybody that's got the logo, if, if they have the logo on their album, they're part of the history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, you know, it's, um, and, and you guys got to know too that John and I are impartial. We, we don't have certain guests up here because we're necessarily giving them a platform or giving them, you know, an opportunity to resell you guys. I don't give a fuck if you guys want to treat this like it's bone court and I have somebody up here. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't feel like it's down with the bone community. Tell me the questions you want to know. I'll, I'll ask if somebody did bone wrong and you, you want to know why you want to know the specific, you know, the specific reason why that happened. Let, let's get it. Let's get it. But that's what this is about, though. I can no longer sit around and just pussyfoot around shit that's happened and just act like it didn't happen because, you know, we're, we're told it didn't happen. Fuck that. Fuck that. Yeah, and sometimes we seek out guests, but a lot of times the things just fall in our lap. And it's like, well, man, there is a story here. What do we do? I mean, do we pursue it? We should. Yeah. So. And, and we're also not just going to do guests. I mean, I have guys, you know, OG members of the BTNH board and, and shit like that. Like, it's the whole everything. Um, it's the whole everything. You know, every little piece, you know, matters in some way. Some shit only matters 5%. Uh, some shit matters, you know, 85%. Tonight, Romeo Antonio is our guest tonight. That one matters the fuck a lot, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. I think it's going to be fireworks tonight. It's crazy to prep. You know, when we prep, John and I prep so hard um, for an interview. And, you know, it, it means gathering a lot of questions. You guys know I always ask for your questions. Um, I'll include your question if it's something that we haven't already written down. And, uh, and it, and it makes sense. So I get all your questions, all our questions. When we do ours, we listen to music and read and watch interviews. And, you know, I, I could prep a insane interview for the smallest of guests, but it's the complete opposite when you're prepping one who are, you know, for a huge guest, it's like, fuck, I hope I got <laughs> I hope I got everything. Yeah. And, I, and I know, and I know I didn't, this, this guy is a, you know, he's got, over 20 years around Bone Thugs and Harmony. That's that's insanity. And he's been around for the hits, the classics. We hope we got them all because, and I've been in these situations too, where you get the, these opportunities like we're going to have tonight and you just wonder, did we get them all? I hope we did. Um, there's always going to be something we miss, but that's always opens, leaves the door open for uh, future appearances. I, I definitely know that we got the real big ones. Um, obviously you guys wanted to know about graveyard shift and, uh, you know, that, that's the biggest one. I, I think a lot of you guys wanted to know about graveyard shift, but I mean, we got lots of questions about mo thugs. We got questions about thug mentality, 99, um, all kinds of stuff, man. So it's going to be a great interview because th this guy's just, he is in, he, he is in this game. And, and what's great about him is. He could sit here and talk for hours about Bone Thugs and Harmony. The guy is so in the game. You could have hours of a music interview with the guy and have him never talk about Bone. Like, that's how deep he is in the industry. And not not just, I mean, he does movies. I mean, you know, this this is a legendary motherfucker we have on the show. It's crazy. It, blow, it blows my mind. And like I said, he he's a legendary outside of bone he's done a lot of work man including with legends i mean uh dmc and a bunch of others so oh bro. It, it, prince he just looks like you yeah it's crazy he, he, before uh you know and i and we won't give away too much but i mean before he was even working with bone the guy is touring with legends prince u2 huge acts so um very excited. He, he'll be calling in here shortly. I'm keeping an eye on the prize for him. Um, I mean, in the meantime, I'm trying to think of what's been going on. We've 
Well, we were having some cool combos on the side today. Uh, we were trying to get to the bottom of Sleepwalkers and this Mr. Bill Collector and yeah. uh, Bud Smokers <laughs> Only. I mean, it, yeah. there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of heated debates we've had today before the show. Yeah, the Bud Smokers Only thing I'm going to save because I think I'm going to bang out a, a, a little video for that. Um, you know, it, it may even be part of this new segment John and I are, are planning and hoping to premiere, but... This this is what we've been talking about uh, as far as BNK and Sleepwalkers, and and I think everybody can probably agree on the BNK one. And and what the thought there is is that's just an old Easy E song, Easy E passed, and um, Ruthless Tamika whoever remixed it, you know, added bone, dropped the video, made made sense. You know, it was a song that was either unreleased or they were seemingly doing nothing with it. And gave it a facelift. So I, I think everybody can agree to that. You can go through, you can find a version that's just easy E, three verses. I mean, pretty pretty cut and clear. Now, the debate here is I don't fucking believe sleepwalkers. <laughs> I don't I I don't believe I just don't believe it. I mean, let me tell you what I do believe. Sleepwalkers, long time, you know, talked about unreleased song. I do believe that that it was talked about Bone doing a song called Sleepwalkers. Um, the version that got released, though, it, it's the Easy E verse and the Bone Thugs and Harmony verses sound like they were recorded at completely different times. Now, it's always been talked about like this is an Easy and Bone song, but when you listen to it, you can clearly tell that these are completely different sessions. It almost sounds like they didn't have the masters of fucking Easy E's verse. Uh, they had to drop this weird bomb to like bridge the fact that the beat changes a little bit. Now, I've always thought Easy's part was done and, you know, Bone just added their shit later on. Like they talked about making this this song and it never fucking happened. And then later on... They were like, all right, we got to finish this. But it didn't really add up because it, it is that 94, early 95 style. So John and I are talking about it today, and, and he dropped a theory on me that right. I, I, it, satis it satisfied me pretty well. Yeah, and my theory was just that it was probably a hold of, like a, a cut track from straight off the streets of Compton. And the reason why I based that on that is that I don't, I mean, Unique may say it's a beat he made. I don't know. But DJ Unique beats generally build and they're more musical in the way they progress. Whereas the Sleepwalkers beat sounds almost like a loop. And it kind of has that sound that was, uh, it sounded like the Straight Off the Streets Compton, maybe even late cuts from 187 them. It's Andre. Uh, so I, and Easy's verse sounds like it was recorded during those periods of time. So that, that's my theory, and that, and that people at the time were wanted to know if Bone had made tracks with Easy. So, you know, maybe they slapped that thing together and said, hey, you want your Easy e Bone track? Here you go, Sleepwalkers. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I can take that story. You know what I mean? Because basically what that story says is Easy e did this song, you know, let's say 93, what, whatever the fuck it is, um, and it was just sitting on the shelf, and then when Bone came around, it was like, yo, Y'all got to drop drop on this Sleepwalker song. So it was like, easy, Easy's verse is already done. So it's easy at that point to say, hey, we, we, we doing a song with Easy called Sleepwalkers. Um, and then drop their part. Uh, so that, that part I can take, you know, but it's just like, it's, it's almost insulting when people try to fucking like drive it down my face. Like, nah, Easy and Bone recorded that song together. Fuck you. You, it. There's no way that that's a believable piece to me. I don't even know if like it's believable that Easy recorded that with any intent for it to be affiliated with Bone. So, so I can go with Johnny's story. Uh, Johnny's story is pretty. His his theory is pretty good, and yeah, I mean, I like that. The only thing that I don't like is, and and this is weird to me. Why did it take all the way to the collection for it to get the fuck out? Like, if you volume got this two. song with Easy E, yeah, the, the the volume two collection, so that's like the year two thousand. 
why'd it take so long? Like, what takes you that long? Why wouldn't it have made it on the collection volume one? Um, Yeah, it it just seems like sitting on that song for so long is just the wrong move, given the limited amount of Bone Thug Easy E tracks that exist. I I, I don't know. and given the context of the time, you know, at the time, Tupac, Machiavelli, bootleg albums were a big deal. Everybody that had recorded anything with Tupac were putting things out. Same with Biggie. So you would have thought a posthumous Easy E song, any Easy E songs, uh, would have been released. But you know that that brings us to the whole. We're straight off the streets of Compton Volume Two. Where are all those Easy E tracks? So maybe yeah. maybe it had a little something to do with with more on the Easy E side than the Bone side, possibly. Yeah, they, I mean, they talk they talk about those being the the masters that were possibly stolen uh, in the in the FBI records and shit. So, mm-hmm. so who, who knows? Um, I mean, I don't think that has anything to do with Sleepwalkers. Like like I said, that's that's the best argument I've heard so far is that that was already a fucking song that was done and probably just got played for Bone. Like, yo, y'all got to fucking drop on this. Um, who knows? And, and, I still and, don't and understand why they didn't. You know, we're theorizing too. Let me just point out, we're theorizing. So, and that's the part of Beyond the Harmonies. Eventually, someone's going to come out with the story, the real deal story of Sleepwalkers, and we won't have to theorize anymore. We'll actually know the full story, not just a fan theory like mine. Yeah. Hey, you guys, tell DJ Unique you want him on the show. <laughs> tell DJ Unique you want him on the show. I believe I see Romeo has now called in. Let me go ahead and unmute him. Romeo, you with us? Hello. Yeah. Uh-huh. There he is. Hey, welcome to the show, brother. Good to have you on here, man. It's been a it's been a long time coming. I've been speaking to Romeo like every night for what seems like two two weeks now. It's probably been blowing up your box. Yeah, man. We've been having a good time going back and forth, uh, asking questions, answering questions, that sort of thing. And you know, listen, I'll give the answers for anyone anyone who wants to listen. I'm here. Yeah, that's wrong. I got a quick question, Romeo. I've been looking at some of your photographs, and I know I've seen you, uh, like haunting me at one point in life. What, what were you on with DMC, like live doing something? Because I'm looking at you with the guitar here, and I'm like, I remember seeing this for like a a year straight. What do you have any idea? I mean, I don't, I, I know you're not seeing the pictures I'm seeing, but was there a big moment where you on you were on TV a whole lot? Because I'm trying to remember where I'm seeing this. Yeah, I have a lot of, well, let's see. I'm not sure what you're looking at, but there was a time uh, when I was doing some shows with Bone. I was also with Run DMC. You know, I was, before that, I was with Prince. So, yeah, I was, I was uh, there was a, I don't know, maybe a five-year straight run that I did a lot of stuff. I was on MTV doing a bunch of interviews. So there's a lot of stuff out there. It's just I never kept up with it. So I don't know where it all is. I did, you know, track down an interview that I did with MTV like early on, you know, early 90s. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, you know, sometimes you like to Google yourself, but sometimes you don't want to really see what people say about you. And uh, so I've been that way because I'm an artist as well. So I don't like to see what people say about me because not everybody likes me. Uh, But, you know, I started Googling myself a couple of years ago when I started doing a Sam Cooke movie and I got into a verbal confrontation with uh, the management side who actually had him murdered. And so I started Googling myself then because I knew they were going to talk shit about me and they did. So I'm not sure what you're looking at, but yeah, it started when I came back from Australia in 1990. Well, I, been to Australia so many times. I have a house there in Bondi Beach. That's where my son was born. But in 1994, I came back and I was called to go to a session. And that's where I met Bone Thugs in Harmony. Um, uh, Cliff Culturary, who's an executive at Relativity Records, and Alan Grunblatt, who's the president, actually sent me to a session. And, and honestly, man, and this is going to blow everybody's socks off, but I didn't even know who Bone Thugs in Harmony was. And they had already done the first two albums. And, you know, they had Thuggish, Ruggish Bone, First of the Month, and all their hits. But because I was in the rock and roll world, and, you know, I played with Prince, Madonna, Michael Jackson, pretty much everybody you can imagine I played guitar for. I also played bass, 
play drums, play violin, cello, pretty much everything. And I was living in Australia, late 80s, early 90s. Um, I went to law school and I, I took the bar and then failed. So I'm actually going to take the bar again and, and pass, of course. But I was on tour for a long time. So there's a lot of pictures, especially the ones that have wire image stamped on them and Getty image. Those are like official ones. But there's a lot of them floating around, man, that I just don't know where they all are, and I don't know where the, all the interviews, and I have no idea. I, I swear I've seen you in a live a live performance somewhere, and it just your imagery just stuck with me. And it, I mean, like, look, I'm like, man, I've, I've I've seen this guy my whole life, and I didn't even realize it. Yeah, man, I've you know done a lot, a lot of live shows. I mean, I love live shows. I mean, studio is one thing, but live you get one take, and I say that in damn near every interview I do. Live, you get one take, and if you fuck that one take up, you can't say take two or take three. You you know you get some thrown at you on the, you know, depends on how bad you fuck it up. So I love live. So I, you know, after you play for Prince and Madonna and Michael Jackson, everybody wants to hire you. So there was a period of time that I was just. I mean, I went on tour with David Bowie for two years. I mean, there was a time period that everybody was just hiring me to play guitar and, I mean, pretty much any instrument that. See, if I go on tour, like with Bowie or with George Michael, because I actually wrote a bunch of songs with him, and I'm playing guitar and the bass player gets sick, guess what? I play bass. Or the drummer, you know, his girlfriend hit him in the head with something, and, you know, then I play drums. So <laughs> that was the benefit of hiring me as a guitar. I also sing, you know, super, super well. I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard any of my records, but, you know, I signed to... Polygram Germany and then in Australia got gold records and all that kind of shit over there didn't do anything much in America and then I met Bone Thugs and Harmony 1994 I come back off of a tour in Australia I think with Prince and uh, it's, a, it's a strange sort of you know I tell a lot of people about it strange sort of uh, thing how I met him you know I went to the studio Crossroads of the World um, where they were recording at the time. And, man, I walked in the studio, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm got to remember, like, at the time, I played a lot of rock, you know, so I'm expecting it to be like a rock session, right? So I actually, you know, pulled up on my Harley, and I, I used to have long hair, and I had my guitar, you know, six string on my back, you know, those lyrics? Yeah, that was uh, So I walked joke. in. And I walked in Studio A, and I was like, nah, this can't be the session. <laughs> you know? so Michael McDonald, guy, Michael McDonald owned the back room, uh, that studio, not the back room, back room of mine, me and Brian Knight's studio, the Crossroads of the World. So I went into the office. I was like, hey, man, I got called in for a session for Sony. I said, yep, it's Studio A. Um, and, you know, they knew me. Uh, not the guys in Studio A, but people at Crossroads of the World. They, they, pretty much everybody in the studio world knew me because I was touring so I walked in, it's all these black dudes. And, you know, I was probably the lightest one in there except for one guy. His name was Steve Lobel. So so I walk in, and I'm light-skinned because my, my mom's black and my dad's Italian from Italy. And that's where I got that fucked-up name, Romeo Antonio, which, man, I can't tell you how many fights I got in because of that. My name is Raymond. Ray Romeo Antonio is my full name. But everybody calls me Rome, right? So I walk in, man, it's just dark. First of all, it's dark as fuck, and it's just smoke, you know, weed smoke. That was fine. And then I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all these brothers. I'm like, yeah, I got to be in the wrong session, man. You know, because I wasn't playing. You know, I played R&B and stuff. Before that, a lot of people don't. I mean, it's not in my – I mean, if you dig deep in my resume, you'll see that I played Whitney Houston and, you know, a bunch of R&B, you know, some heavy, heavy R&B people. But, not a, you know, people don't really – comment on it a lot because if you're playing r&b there's not a lot for a guitar player to do except right. you know that kind of bullshit right and that's like the last thing you want to do when you're a real guitar player it's like i want to turn my martial amp up and get down but the r&b shit was like oh man i hated those kicks so i'm looking at these cats and i'm like what what's this <laughs> and i didn't know who bone thug and harmony was like i said so then the white dude smoothed up to me, his name's Steve Lobel, and he's like, you wrong, you know, sucking on his teeth like he always does, looking at the back of his uh, Timberland to make sure nobody stepped on it. I mean, Steve is a, a different kind of character. It's funny. And I was like, yeah, who are you? I'm Steve Lobel. I was like, all right, you know, who's this? 
and it's Bone Thugs and Harmony. I was like, who? And pretty much everybody in there laughed at that moment when I said who. And I was like, damn. And, you know, and it was quite, it was, it was a thing. Because Unique was there, DJ Unique. Mm-hmm. He was doing the programming and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't know anybody. Man, I didn't know any guy named Archie Blaine was there, who was like a producer for Mo Thug. And I would come to know him very, very well. I mean, because, you know, because it was like, oh, man, it was, it was kind of a wild scene because they had had hit records and a lot of money was floating around. And you could just tell when you walk in the room that there was something big going on. That's why mm-hmm. I didn't leave, to be honest with you. I was like, something's happening. This motherfucker. So, I'll excuse my language. Uh, otherwise, I would have looked and been like, nah. And I would have left because I would have thought it was just another R&B session. And R&B... Although I do love it, I have to tell you, I love R&B, but it's not a lot for a lead guitar player to play in R&B. So anyway, I'm probably you, talking too much, so go ahead. Oh, you're good. You're good. We, we, well, I always tell the guests, you're, you're driving tonight. We're, we're just in, in the shotgun position, so you can talk as much as you like. We, we're going to jump in once in a while and just uh, ask a couple questions about what you're saying. And one of them I, I, I think of immediately is... Um, in this first interaction with them, do you, do you remember the session? Do you remember what like album or anything they were working on during that first time you were meeting up with them? Well, I remember uh, hearing the song Crossroads. Uh, it wasn't a hit yet, of course. I don't think it was out yet. But and I remember listening to it because it was a sample. And what happened when I started working with them, I was already working for Relativity Sony. I had done a bunch of sessions with them. And during that time period, if you remember Puffy and everybody, they were using samples. But what I was and what I became for Bone and, and Mothug and Relativity at Sony was the guy to, to fix the sample so that you don't have to pay for it. Now, Puffy mm-hmm. didn't have a guy like me, so he paid Sting. He paid everybody for everybody, you know, every, every, every sample he did. But so when I walked in, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I'm a musicologist, and I could hear something, and I could tell you what key it's in. Everything. I mean, you know, what scale is, la, 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 right? And so I'm listening to this sample, <clears throat> you know, the sample that's in Crossroads, which is an Isley Brothers song. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, going, and I love the Isley Brothers. And I'm going, okay, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's right up there with, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire and all the other samples that everybody was doing. And that's actually where Crazy and I first collaborated in Thug Devotion. Um, because Thug Devotion is really true devotion by Earth, Wind, and Fire. But what I did, and what I did at so many sessions in the 90s, was I would change the fourth chord. I would invert the chord, keep it in the same key so that people recognize it. But you, if you invert the chord, you don't have to pay for it. Because if you, pay the same, if you play the same chords, you know, the four bar, and the four bars, if you play all the same chord, you got to pay for it. And that's law. But what I, and this is like Cliff and those guys, uh, Cliff Culture and those guys that, that um, at Sony would send me to a lot of sessions because I'm a musicologist. I play the piano. I play everything. And so I would understand the chord progression. And if you change one of those chords in there and you invert it or whatever you do, then you don't have to pay for the sample. So I started doing that for with Crazy Bone, for Mothug, for Bone, for you know, anybody who they would ask me to do it because I became sort of on staff and I would just send in invoices every couple of days and so the first song I think that I heard was Crossroads. I didn't recognize it because well, it wasn't out yet, and I wouldn't recognize it anyway because I didn't listen to that kind of music. And I didn't like rap um, early on because I'm from Queens, New York, and everybody knows that anybody from Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, you grow up with rap. So I didn't think it was special. You know, I'm a mm. jazz musician, rock and roll, and I like I said, heavy R&B. But heavy R&B and heavy hip-hop, is nothing but jazz when you break it down to its purest roots. And I was, and I mean, that's what I, you know, I was high school jazz band when I was in the ninth grade. And I mean, you know, so I've been playing music all my life since I was six, seven years old. And so when you listen to rap, and I love Run Dinsa, they're my friends, you know, and, but I never thought anything big of it. I thought to myself, yep, yeah, so some dude's doing a beat which is anybody that can wake up in the morning and tie their fucking shoes can make a beat, and that's just what I think of it, and it's the truth. I mean, when you're a real musician, to be honest with you, making a beat, okay, then what, right? So you make a beat, and then you get some guy talking over it, and the talk rhymes. And so 
growing up in Queens, if you could chew gum and walk and do basketball at the same time, then you could rap. And so I never thought anything big of it. Uh, in fact, I, I shunned it quite a bit. When Prince did Sexy Motherfucker, um, I was like, man, why the fuck are you trying to rap? Because he does some little rapping on, on a little, I mean, he can't, you know. I mean, Prince could do anything he wants because he's so talented. But when he's trying to do some rapping, he was trying to, you know, sort of stay relevant or come into the new town, whatever. And, you know, I was like, you need to get somebody to rap because you can't do it, man. You should stick to singing. And, he, you know, he got me <laughs> and a couple guys in the New Power Generation, which I was a member of, and he got them to rap. And then they were real rappers. And I still didn't, you know, care anything about it. That, that so, phrase, though, that phrase captured culture, though, sexy MF. Well, no doubt. And, and I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with rap. Let, let me tell you. So I, I just wanted to tell you that so I can tell you about how I ended up respecting it and come to love it. And it's all about Crazy Bone. And I have to tell you that I love, I love all of them dearly. Now, I am looking forward to a Wishbone solo album because Wishbone is different than all, than all of them. A lot of them have too much shit out there. Um, now, Crazy Bone is one of the most talented guys that I've come across, period, whether it be David Bowie or Michael Jackson. Crazy Bone is that guy. And yeah. that's the guy that I gravitated towards in Bone Thugs and Harmony because he and I would talk music a lot, and he would do it with his mouth, but he didn't know what he was doing. Like fifths and thirds and sevenths, you have a root note, and you have a third and a fifth and a seventh. Well, that, that's called chord structure. Well, he would do it with his mouth, not knowing that he was actually what he was doing. <laughs> what he was doing was like major musical knowledge. He didn't know. He was just doing what he thought he should do. And it was absolutely correct and 100%. And, um, man, the dude, he blew my mind. So, you know, they all come up to me at different times. And, listen, I love Lazy Bone, too. He's got a heart of gold. And I'll tell you, Lazy Bone has always, always looked out for me more than anybody in that group. He would always make sure my invoices got in. And, uh, you know, with the graveyard shift, he wanted me to become a member of the graveyard shift because Gates was out. And me and T-Rock got super, super duper tight, sleeping on the floor in the studio, making songs every day. And, and Lazy Bone, even before graveyard shift, the Poetic Hustlers, even before them, actually, it was too true. Uh, I can't remember which one I actually first played on, but when I first started playing, he kind of tried me. He tried me hard. Uh, Lazy Bone did. He he was drunk or something, and I was standing. I was sitting there with the guitar, um, you know, on my on my thigh, and I was playing something. And he, you know, he was kind of wilding out that night, right? And he walked up to me, and he straight up got on me hard. He said, oh, you that nigga supposed to play guitar? And I was like, whoa, like, where this shit? What, right? <laughs> because you have to remember, so I'm in there, and there's a bunch of bones. Well, not just bone thugs, but there's most thug, and there's all of their buddies. So think about it. Here's this new guy. I'm the new guy, right? And I had long hair and shit, and I had rolled a fucking Harley and, you know, guitar rock and roll dude, right? I had tattoos and torn up jeans and shit, you know, leather jacket, shit like that. And there's all these Mothug dudes, and, and it wasn't so much them, it was their friends too. So everybody's like, who is this motherfucker that's trying to come in on our shit? So this one dude stepped to me. Well, this one dude kept fucking with me, right? It was like every time I show up, this motherfucker was always in my face. And... I don't know if you guys know him, but his name is Meninsky. Meninsky's mobbing, right, from the black yeah, hole. Oh, yeah. So, yes. so, so this dude, I mean, he's from the black hole, right? So this dude, I mean, he was on me for like a month. And I'm like, what the fuck's wrong? So finally, me and Meninsky actually became tighter than anybody. I actually, uh, when I did a, a record in, I don't remember what year it was, 97, 98, 90, I don't know. I had Meninsky actually put him on two songs on two of my records that I did. One of them was an Eric Clapton cover, um, and the other one, uh, I wrote the other one. Um, but yeah, he slowed on it, and me and him got to be super tight. But at first, man, I thought I was going to have to shoot the dude. Because, you know, there's a, a thing going around that everybody's talking about, oh, Romeo carries a gun in his guitar case. Oh, that was the truth. Because, shit, I didn't know who I was with. I mean, these dudes were a little... 
I mean, you know, if you're coming from a different country and all these brothers run up on you, I'm from Queens for sure, but, you know, it's like, all right, what, what, niggas, what they going to act like? But what do you do? Carry a gun in your That's what I always did. Uh, and a few times, felt like, you know, I might have to pull it out, but I never did. Um, but with Meninsky, because he was a big, thick, mean-ass nigga back then, because I didn't know him, you know. But, I mean, even knowing, yeah, he was, he was the nigga to knock you out first and then maybe talk to you afterwards. So I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to shoot this dude. But, of course, I never did. Me and him became really, really tight. That's my boy. And um, so anyway, getting back to Lazy Bump, so I had a guitar on me, and I was playing something. I, I don't even remember. Either one of Unique Tracks or Archie's or Bobby Jones. I don't remember who it was, to be honest with you. But it was for either Bone or Motuck. You know, I can't remember back then they all were sorted together because I would turn in invoices and they would pay them. So when I came to the studio, and I could play like five songs a night, and I got paid really good. And, you know, and I just turn in the invoice. And so they start seeing me making a lot of money, right, off of them. So Lazy Bone rolled up on me, and he said, this is a nigga, da 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 you play good, nigga, play something. And I have to tell you, most people, most people, because he had about 10 dudes around him, right? Uh, you know, Ken Dog. I mean, yeah, you know, the cats, which I didn't know yet. But most dudes would probably freak out and not play anything and probably, you know, fuck up. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I'm a real player. I, I just, oh, you, this nigga wants to see me play. So I thought to myself, uh, he's black. Let me play some funk for this nigga. Boom. I started playing some funky-ass shit for him. Just, you know, just fucking my guitar up. You know, swapping hands, because I could play left hand and right hand, so I was swapping hands. I was doing all kind of little tricks and shit, and he just started, you know, with this smile on his face, and he said, oh, this nigga for real. Hey, Cray, this nigga for real. You know, that kind of shit. Of course, Cray already knew, because Cray has a lot of music in his head, and when Cray saw me play for the first time, he probably knew what I knew. He probably knew he was like, oh, yeah. But Lazy, being sort of, and, and you could tell at the time, that Lazy was the leader of the pack, without a doubt. It wasn't Crazy Bone. Yep, when we had to do hooks and all that, yeah, Crazy Hey, call Cray, you know, that kind of shit. But the leader of the pack for Motug and for Bone at the time, to say, was Crazy Bone. I'm sorry, Lazy Bone. Because if anybody did anything wrong or out of place, you had to see Lazy Bone and his dudes. You know, he was sort of the, you know, Crazy wasn't the um, later, later on when, Crazy start fucking with, you know, uh, you know, he got a little thug more. Thug line. And... Yeah, even even before thug line, Crazy sort of started getting a little more, I don't know, pushy and stuff. But the Crazy has always maintained a sort of a gentleman attitude, especially around strangers. But Lazy, if you fucked up, you needed to see Lazy. And you didn't really want to see Lazy back then. Yes, the biggest heart in the world. But if you fuck up, you deserve an ass whipping, you would get one. If you were right or cool and, you know, then he would give you a hug. So after I fucked up the guitar for him, he, he gave me a big hug. And he's like, nigga, you with us from now on. I was like, all right. Uh, all right, then. Sounds good to me. I mean, you know, they were paying now, crazy great money. You, you were saying, yeah, you were saying earlier, you know, they, they always made sure you got your invoices and everything. I, I think one of the big, you know... Uh, questions, misconceptions maybe with Bone fans is, you know, your actual status. Were you actually signed as a, a Mothug artist or were you, you know, independent in that situation and just working with them? I was independent first. Uh, and I was, I don't know, like a hired hand as a, you know, a musician. And I was also an engineer. You know, I sort of did everything. I was a singer. So crazy would sing the, the, the root note and I would hit the thirds or the fifths. So we ended up writing a lot of stuff. So no, I was initially independent. And then when Graveyard Shift came along, Lazy wanted me to sign to Mossad. And I did take the contract and I, you know, I went through all the motions of actually being a Mossad artist, but I actually never signed the contract which is similar to the flesh and bone uh, conversation we'll have later with uh, Tanika and uh, Ruthless. But I took the contract, but nobody ever asked me for it after that. And, you know, I called 
relativity because, you know, I used to call them all the time. I had invoices and I knew them. They're the ones who sent me on, on the session. So, and I'd, be, and, you know, I'd say, hey, so, I mean, so what happens to my money now? Should I do this uh, record deal thing? And, and they're, of course, hey, as long as you keep playing for these guys, whatever, you know, playing with them, making songs, fun, da, 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 we'll keep play, paying your invoices so you don't have to do anything, you know. So I didn't. Uh, now, on tour and all that, I would get paid. Now, you see, and that's that's another thing that is funky. You know, over the years, I've talked to different Mota guys, Soldier Boy, and, you know, different cats that were on tour with us. And they say that they only got paid what's called per diem, you know, a weekly per diem or, or a daily per diem, that sort of thing. Now, I can't say for sure if that happened or not, but I know that I got paid every day. I mean, well, when me and me and Crazy Bone always shared a bus because I, you know, would build a Pro Tools rig or some sort of rig in the back of our bus so that whatever tour we're on, we can always make music. And that's, by the way, how the 1999, uh, his 1999 album was made. We pretty much made that whole record on the back of a tour bus. Uh, wow. But so I always got paid. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm considered most uh, and, you know, on a lot of paperwork that comes in, because, you know, you get what's called a writer and stuff, and you're, you're flying, or you're going to a hotel and stuff like that, and there's Romeo Antonio, mm-hmm. and I'm Mo Thug. So I was considered Mo Thug, but I never actually uh, signed the record deal, the Mo Thug record deal. So that would be your answer. I, I, I would say, you know, and, and this kind of goes with what you were saying, but a complaint that we often, you know, hear, and not just on the show, just in general over the years, uh, from, I would say, especially ex-Mothugs, is, you know, the payments. Um, where you had that contract, I mean, do you know what it was like for members of the Mothugs as far as signing? I mean, were they getting regular paychecks and bonuses from the music and shows? Or, I mean, were they, what? what's the situation there? Because I've heard things as far as in the later part, and I'm talking maybe Thug Line and stuff like that, that a lot of artists didn't even end up on paper signing. Yeah, you know, listen, everybody is different and separate from everybody. And like, for instance, Ken Dog was with Lazy so much, he was probably majorly, majorly taken care of. So um, as far as their contract goes, uh, now, when we would get the budget, let's just say, so let's start at the beginning, uh, how a record deal works, and let's just talk about Moda. So... Uh, let's just say it was, um, who do you want to talk about? Let's just say the girl, not the girls, but, uh, Poetic Hustlers, right? Because I produced pretty much that whole album. Well, I produced all of the most Thug records back then. Um, if I didn't produce them, then I, I wrote on them or played all the instruments, but I always worked on them. So if they, you know, like they would get a budget, for instance. Now, I'm not sure what their advance, I hear, I've heard, you know, what their advances were, but a lot of people would complain that after the advance, they didn't get paid um, or whatever. I know they got paid on tour because you can't take anyone on tour without giving them a per diem. It's kind of against the law, so they have to have a per diem. So um, now as far as their record deal, what it read like and all that kind of stuff, I wasn't privy to that. Now, I could have been privy to that, but I didn't want to be privy to it. All I knew is how much do I have to record a record on Poetic Hustlers? How much do I have to uh, record a record on Graveyard Shift or whoever? You know, how much do I have to play with? You know, and so, it's sort of like, what's my budget? And back in the 90s, there were huge budgets for making records in the studio. Now it's, it's a joke. But back in the 90s and the 80s and all that, yeah, huge, huge budgets. I, I would say that fans consider I, I was just gonna say I would consider that you know um, fans consider the the two true album the poetic hustlers album the unreleased graveyard shift album and the first two mo thugs album is like the original classic mo thugs stuff uh, did did you work on all those projects absolutely in fact the two mo thug records um, is me and crazy bone and lazy bone uh, you know we pretty much did the tracks before we would let the artist in to actually rap on them or stuff like that. As you know, Crazy Bone does all the hooks on everything and uh, Lazy is on everything because he, in my mind and in most people's mind, was the leader of the most. Uh, 
And uh, all the most love would say that, too. It was always uh, Lazy Bone. He was like the godfather sort of guy for them. But, um, yeah, I worked on all that. In fact, if you play any of the most uh, one and two, play a record, I could pick out the part and tell you what I played on it because I played keyboards, bass, guitar, everything I could play on it. And um, and those two records are very close to me. Now, Poetic Hustler is close to me, too. You know, we slept in the studio. We had fun. Time will reveal where I'm playing the acoustic on the George oh, yeah. Michael thing that we the joint. In fact, that's going to be on the greatest uh, greatest hits volume two. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, time will reveal. So, um, yeah, those records and Too True and also, um, what were the three girls' uh, name? Um, Trey. Trey. Yeah, Trey. Trey. Those girls. I'll play on all those records. You know, if, if, if Crazy Bone was in there, then I was in there, and that's kind of how it was. Here did, did, when you, did, by any chance, did you do pianos? Like, who did the neighborhood slang uh, com- composition? Do you know what song I'm talking about? It's on Art of War Disc Two. I always wondered who did that. Um, it's, yeah, it's... Uh, Art of War Disc Two. You know, the whole Art War. I mean, I was around for the whole thing, and you know, DJ Unique is the producer. On Art of War, Crazy Bone had a lot, a lot, a lot to do with Art of War. And whenever Crazy Bone had to do with anything, and this can go down in history, then I was there. Uh, Because Crazy Bone sort of, you know, he was particular about what he wanted to hear and what he wanted the sound to be like. And I was kind of working for Crazy Bone uh, at the time directly. So, and that kind of comes up with Lazy Bone again. He comes at me after the whole thing with that situation, played the guitar, and I knocked it out. Well, I don't know, a couple, three years later, whenever it was, he came up to me. You know, he wasn't in a good mood. He was drinking or whatever. And and he said, I heard you ain't playing my nigga's shit the way he wants you to play it. I'll never forget it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? See, at that point, we're all kind of friends. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, Craig wants you to play some shit a particular way then you got to play it like that. And and it's like, you know, and he was kind of mad. He had some dudes with him. And I was like, but if it's wrong, then I can't play that lay, and then you should fire me right now. Because, you know, in in music theory, there are certain things that don't go together, you know, and, and, and Crazy's really great with music theory. He doesn't know it's called music theory, but he's really great with it. But, you know, if he's not around or if one of the other Mo Thug or somebody's in the you know studio and I'm playing something, no, nah, no, nah, nigga, play it like this, you know, that kind of thing, and the two notes clash, then I won't do it. And I'll just say, nah, it don't go like that. I can't do that. Because there are things in music theory that you cannot do. I mean, you cannot do. Notes right next to each other do not ever work. Like an A and an A sharp, you can never play them at the same time ever be E sharp, never be B sharp, never play them at the same time. At the same time, they don't go together. So I did a, a lot of, you know, I, I would, whoever I was working with, I teach them, I try to teach them, but not in a teaching way. I'd be like, no, nah, man, check this note out. It'll sound better. And usually Cray or, you know, whoever's like, yeah, man, that's, that's what's up. But I don't know, one night, somebody complained about something. Don't know, can't remember, don't care. And Lazy came up to me with that same veracity that he did that first time he came up to me asking me, what, you know, what's up? And I was like, well, listen, there are certain things that you can't do in music. They just don't work together. And he wasn't having it. He wasn't happy about it because he wanted me to play whatever Archie or, you know, Bobby or whatever, the, whatever, whatever guy was producing at that moment. He wanted me to play whatever they wanted me to play because none of them could play. That's the thing about it. None of them, they, everybody could program, you know, do drum beats, but nobody could play. That was the one thing that I brought to Bone Thug at Harmony and Mo Thug. I was a real player, and they didn't have one. They never had one. And so during, during us moving along and recording, if something's wrong, you know, just musically wrong, I'd be like, no, nah, man, it don't go like that. You know, this will sound better like this. Well, no, nah, nigga, I want it to sound like that. You know, and they would push back on me, not because of music theory or it sounded better. It's just because they wanted to push back on me, just because. Like I said, 
you know, there's always three sides to a story. And when you make a movie, you know, there's the beginning, which is all this and that. And then there's, you know, the, the act two, which is the story arc. And then there's act three, which is the end. It's not all good. It cannot ever always be good. There has to be some bad shit. And when you put two notes right next to each other at the same time, that's called bad shit. And so I was telling him, nah, I can't play it. But Lazy, and I have to tell you this, because Lazy believed in his Motug artist so hardcore. And like I said, he was the daddy, for real. He would come up on me and, and be mad if I didn't do what one of his Motug artists said to do exactly. Even if it was wrong. I'm like, Lay, that shit is wrong. Here, listen. And I would play it for him. Then I, and, you know, Lay's not a musician. He could hear right and wrong, of course, but sometimes... You know, I'd do it on the guitar or on the piano, be like, listen, man, this shit ain't right. This is right, tonally, but this isn't. Well, shit, nigga, all I know is you need to play it like my nigga said. And that would be the end of that. I'm like, all right, well, fire me because I ain't doing it. And, you know, the next day will come. I'd go back to work, go you know, back to the studio, and everything's fine. But he, he would really step up for his artists. And I have to say, I've been around the music industry a long time. I've been signed to, I don't know, five different labels. I've worked for so many huge, huge people. I can say that Lazy Bone went to bat harder for his Mo Thug than any A&R person or any record company person I ever worked with. i never seen it before wow. in my life. Oh, yeah. That's so good to hear. That's so good to hear, and, I, and I'll tell you that's good to hear because, <clears throat> you know, un- unfortunately in, in this situation, there there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bitter feelings. You, you hear... At this point, you you hear a lot of bad shit about Mo Thugs, and and I've always thought it was so you know good a bone. I mean, people people don't realize that these guys were still very early in their career to be making their own fucking label. Uh, they 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 did such a big thing so early on, and and they probably were not completely prepared to have that big of a roster. But it's it's great to hear that while they had it, they were working hard. Glad you said that. That's important because. <clears throat> They were artists themselves, but for them to have a new label and bring up the guys that they're, you know, their people, that's huge to do because they were just learning themselves. So how would they know? All they knew was they was bringing, you know, it's like a lyric that Crazy Bones said. Um, uh, um, oh, it'll come to me any second, but it's then if you like it. Oh, this record never came out, actually. You know, somebody was hitting us up on Facebook or one of those things. Uh, talking about some records that I have records that haven't come out. I have so many of them, I can't count them. Um, so um, yeah, he said it on one of his, well, one of the songs we did, and he said, um, if you like it, you pick up the record and make it a hit, and then when you buy it, thank you for your support. I really mean, got to make a little money over here, help the nigga over there, get up off St. Clair, and prepare for war. And that's what he actually did. That's in one of his lyrics i can't remember which song it is it's definitely one of the songs that never came out i actually listened to that song from time to time not for his rap i mean the the rap is cold-blooded but what i'm doing underneath the rap is some heavy fucking jazz and and late and crazy used to love that shit like when i would play jazz because jazz is very much like r&b and honestly crazy bone is an r&b singer and don't let anybody say anything other than that he's a great rapper absolutely and he's a great hip hip hop artist. But what makes him great is because before he was a rapper, his parents, his grandparents, everybody in the house played heavy R and B. Major, major, major. And he listened to it all his life. That's why he knows so much about music. R and B in particular. But when you get an R and B artist that can sing their ass and that's like Soldier Boy. Mo Thug Soldier Boy, that dude's mm-hmm. a major singer. And then when he started, you know, he came to the studio when I first met Soulja Boy, and he got on, I think, Mo Thug Part 1, Family Reunion or something. And he started singing. I was, like, I was like, yeah, this dude, I was, I was blown away. And I became such close friends with him. He and I ended up actually living together in Miami. First, I was living with Crazy Bone. In, oh, it was, well, I was living with Crazy Bone in his house in Miami. But me and Soulja Boy and Cat Cody, we had a condo right on on a fifth and ocean. Ocean is the the street in Miami that is right in front of the ocean. So we were at Fifth and Ocean. We had a bomb ass condo. Me and Cat Cody and Soldier Boy making bomb ass music. 
and just hanging out. Man, I have to tell you, that was one of the better times of my life, just hanging out with two Mo Thug artists. Now, the crazy thing about it is, if you talk to, like, you know, people that know me, like my sister, people that went to college with me, or rock and roll friends of mine, or even Prince, and you say, well, Romeo says the best time he ever had was living in South Beach with Crazy Bones, Cat Cody, and Soldier Boy. Pence would swear you're lying. He would act like he didn't, you didn't even say it because he didn't respect <laughs> rap at all. I mean, I'm talking at all. You know the, the phrase, the only reason rappers rap is because they can't sing? Well, that came out of Prince's mouth back in the 90s. And to a lot of singers, especially R&B singers, it's very true. Hip-hop artists have to express themselves in some way. And if they can't sing, they're going to rap about it. But in the 90s, it was kind of a slap in the face. When you say, oh, yeah, oh, you're a rapper? Oh, okay, then. And you walk away. Now if you say you're a rapper, it's big shit, right? But back then, yeah. oh, you're a rapper? All right, damn, dude, I'll talk to you later. You walk away like, nigga, you can't, you can't even shine my shoes. Because it was, it's a known fact that, and well, Prince is the king, right? Or whatever you want to call him, the prince or the whoever. If, if you can't sing, the only reason rappers rap is because they can't sing. It's a form of self-expression. That's what singing is, truly. More than even an instrument. If you're singing, it's coming out of your body, right? I mean, you can argue that instruments are too, but it's actually coming out of your lungs, your vocal cords. That's what singing is, right? It's the ultimate expression of oneself is singing. Guess what? Here we go. 2000, 2010, bam. Guess what? Rappers rap. And that's what they do. And it's their form of expression, art expression. Now, are they doing it because they can't sing? I don't know. I know some pretty good singers, like Soldier Boy, for instance. That dude could sing his ass off. But when he was with yeah. Most Dog, he was, he was rapping. And he enjoyed rapping more than singing. I was like, hey, Soldier Boy, why don't we do an R&B record with Cat Cody? Because Cat Cody was even better than Soldier Boy. Cat Cody was major, one of the major singers I've been around in the biggest way. I'm talking about up there with Casey and JoJo and them cats because I worked with them. Oh, you know, back when they were called Jodeci. I worked with all them cats, man. Devontae Swing, right? In fact, uh, I was on the Pony Sessions uh, for Genuine. That's my voice box you hear. Wow. Whoa. That. Yeah, that's oh, what shit. and shit. so I'm I'm telling you that Cat Cody would just tear up most of those R&B singers back then. I mean, that's how Cold Blood and Soldier Boy too. So I'm like, these cats could sing. What are you doing in here with these motherfuckers dudes rapping? But I had to learn, and so now I'm gonna fold you back into my learning experience with Bone Thugs and Harmony. So back at the beginning when I said I walked in and they were rap they were rappers and I was like shit I'm in the wrong session couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. Well, after I stayed there for a minute, Crazy Bone came over to me, then Lazy Bone, then Wish or Busy, probably Busy, cuz Busy was out of you know, most of the time Busy was up on the roof at the studio on the roof at a uh, private island crossroads of the world. That dude was on the roof, just hanging out on the roof, looking at, you know, the ghetto birds, which are LAPD helicopters. And I, I was like, what the fuck is this dude thinking about? He was out of his mind back then, I have to tell you. But let me tell you, Busy Bone's a major singer, too. And um, when uh, Easy e signed him in the Bone Thugs and Harmony, yeah, he was a singer. He had won a singing competition in Columbus, Ohio. He ain't from Cleveland. And so these cats walked over to me early on day three, day four, something like that, you know, our sessions. And Crazy Bone started rapping, well, kind of sing rapping, you know how he does. That's how he does most of his hooks, right? And then Lazy hit in on a third, and Busy will come in on a seventh or a fifth, which is a higher harmony, because Busy has a high voice. And I'm like, damn, these dudes are hitting three-part harmonies. Now, yeah. they didn't. They didn't. Now, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing, and that's the beauty of Bone Thugs and Harmony. And somebody one day is going to say this speech at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the film that we put together was really my trying to make something for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to look up and say, hey, stupid, look at these dudes, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Because one day, somebody is going to say this, and they're going to say that these guys didn't know how talented they actually were. And that's the most 
important thing I could say to anybody, any fan, anybody that's listening or anybody that's going to talk to me in the future, the most important thing I could say, and I've said this, by the way, to from MTV, whoever would interview me, the most important thing is they didn't know how talented they were. Crazy Bone would hit a root note. And by the, by the way, Crazy Bone could hit a third, a fifth, and a seventh with a blink of an eye. He just didn't know what he was hitting. He didn't know it was a third to the root or a fifth to the root, seventh, but he would hit it dead on. So when they do it together, you have what's called a three-part harmony. That's where they get the name Bone Thugs and Harmony, and that came from Eazy-E. Eazy-E was that cat, and he was just smart, and he knew how to, th- you know. They were called Bone Inter- Enterprises before. I mean, they had three, four names going on, all this kind of different shit. But I have to say the harmony is what makes them special. They do it not knowing they were doing it. And when I heard them do it for the first time, I stopped playing the fucking guitar or the piano. I looked down and was like, you guys are singers. Man, I almost got my ass beat the moment I said that shit. <laughs> I have to tell you, and it was Lazy Bone that kind of saved me. He said, nah, nigga, <laughs> nah, don't tell these niggas they singers. I was like, what? What? That's a, that's a big compliment coming from me. Man, I work for Whitney Houston and, you know, these, you know, huge Michael Jackson. These dudes are singers. Nah, don't tell them they singers, though, dog. I'm like, why not? Nah, man, they rappers. <laughs> and then he would sort of do that little laugh and he'd give me a hug. Just don't call them singers, man. They might want to get at you. Beyond the harmony for the fans we celebrate. Beyond the harmony for the fans we celebrate.